the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The book of the Song of Solomon is written in a way that allegorically it speaks to our relationship with God. God wants us to get to that place where we understand that we are His, that we live for His glory, and that we declare that with our lives. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. What does it take to make somebody sing like that, to sing, you're a mighty good man or a mighty good woman? That's what we're going to talk about today, straight from God's Word, the book of Song of Solomon. So take your copy, whether it's like this or whether it's electronic, find your place there. We're going to be in chapter 2, find something to write with, something to write on, and we're going to dig into God's Word together today. But first, I want to ask and answer a question, why? Why would we each year spend several weeks just talking about relationships? Why would we, after just a few years, dig back into a same book of the Bible, the Song of Solomon? We dealt with this book of the Bible in 2015, so just four years ago. Why would we think it's so important that we spend a little more time? Here's what I've learned. 25 years in ministry and relationships are hard work. This is not a time where we're going to beat one another up, and it would be that if we were going to do that, because I would deserve as much beating as anyone else. But this is a time where we're going to recognize that even Christ's followers struggle to have right dating relationships. We struggle to have healthy marriages. We struggle to get this thing the way God wants it. And so we can either ignore that, or we can make sure we're taking time regularly to press the pause button and say, let's reflect on the most earthly example we have of what a divine relationship is to be. That's what marriage is. Marriage is God's picture here on earth of that eternal relationship we'll have with our Heavenly Father. That's clear in Scripture. In the Old Testament, God talks about the children of Israel. He calls them an adulterous generation because they've been unfaithful to Him. In the New Testament, Jesus talks about the church. That's people like us who've committed our life to follow Christ. He calls them the bride of Christ. So we've got to decide, are we, are we going to step into that relationship and make sure our earthly relationships are what God wants us to be? What about those of you that are not really at a place where you anticipate ever being in a marriage relationship? Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're a widow or a widower or, or maybe you're a divorcee and, and don't have that desire. Is this applicable or practical to you? Yes, it is. And I believe God has a message for us that will help us in not only our relationship with him, no matter where we are in life, but will help us in our relationships with others. And I know this. There's a lot of hurt around this subject. And so before we do anything else, I just want to pause and ask God to 
cover this time with his presence, to speak into our hearts and minds, to ease the tensions, the anxieties that may even be felt just around the topic. That he would bring redemption and restoration, that he would provide healing, and even the work of his miraculous hand as a result of our time together. So let's pray even now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we say thank you for this time. We love you. We've come to give you adoration. This is about you. Ultimately, this is not about us because we realize our life, our existence is not about us. So our prayer is simple. Though we say this often, we don't say it ritually. We ask us to give us, ask you to give us what we do not have. We ask you to make us into those men and women, boys and girls that we've not yet become. We ask us, we, we ask that you would teach us what we don't know. So we thank you that we can open your word, perfect, true, holy, and it speak to every area of our life. And so we ask you to speak to us now. God, may the words I say and even my thoughts please you. And may this be the day of change and even the day of eternal salvation for someone that hears these words. God, we thank you for this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think about what is the main thing of this passage of scripture we're going to talk about. We're going to dive into chapter 2 of Song of Solomon, but there is a key verse. Here's the key verse. Look at it here. My beloved is mine, and I am his. So we talked about Song of Solomon having both a literal and an allegorical meaning. This is not untrue of a lot of scripture. A, a famous verse, Second Chronicles seven fourteen, talks about prayer and it says if my people who are called by my name will what humble themselves will seek my face will turn from their wicked ways and pray I will heal their land that was not written a few thousand years ago for America it wasn't it had a specific context but it also has practical application the book of the song of Solomon is written in a way that allegorically it speaks to our relationship with God God wants us to get to that place where we understand that we are his, that we live for his glory, and that we declare that with our lives. But it is also a literal book of the Bible where God wants us to understand that we have relationships on this side of heaven that can be better than they are. If I were to tell you one key truth in this passage of scripture, it would be this. Jesus wants to be seen as you're all that. He wants to be number one. He, he wants to be first in your life. And so does your mate. If you've not yet married, your future mate. That person that under God is going to be the most important person in your life wants to be seen in your eyes as all that. Now last week we began the first chapter of Solomon, Song of Solomon. We talked about three main characters in this story. There's Solomon, King Solomon, David's son, the king of Israel. There is Shulamith, who will be his wife. And Shulamith literally means Miss Solomon. We, we talk about the fact we know Solomon was an imperfect person like us. He's a sinner. But this passage that we're going to study today shows us he was not imperfectible. Your issue in your relationships may not be just the reality you're imperfect because that you have in common with everyone. Your, your problem may be you've allowed yourself to become imperfectible. You're not teachable. You're not growing. You're not learning. You're not saying, what can I can do? And so Solomon, this man who even in this area of his life had many problems, we see that we can learn from him. And then you have these women, Shulamite's friend, and 
And, and she speaks to them. Solomon sometimes speaks to them. And they're kind of sideline characters in this story. So last week, we see the attraction phase of this relationship. And, and we learned a simple principle. And this is something we can all do. Here it is. We want to become the person the person you want to be with wants to be with. Now, that's a hard statement to say. But it makes a lot of sense. I want to become the person the person I want to be with wants to be with. Everybody has in their mind somebody idealistically they want to spend the rest of their life with, their dream mate, their dream lover. And what I want to do is recognize I can't control anyone else any time of my life, but I can do everything in my ability to become the kind of person I want to be around. And so when we talked about this last week, we talked about power, and we talked about the power of praise and the importance of being encouraging to one another. We talked about the power of passion, how God gave us desire. Passion is not something to be shunned or to feel like is a dirty thing that we can't talk about. Desire is not demonic, but there's great power in passion. We just want our passions to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God as followers of Jesus. And then we talked about the power of purpose, that this earthly relationship we have, every earthly relationship, should point to the power of God all around us. So I, I want in my earthly relationship to, to show that God is a God who redeems. God is a God who reconciles. God is a God who changes. It's a simple truth. we got to make a decision. Do we do things that God says to do? If we do, we can have the things God says we can have. And that's what God wants for you. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Today in, in this passage of Scripture, we see our two characters, and they're getting close to marriage. They're not yet married. So here's a preview of coming attractions. Next week, we're going to tune in to their marriage night. It's going to be spicy. You don't want to miss it. It's a great bookend for our time together around Valentine's Day. But this week, we're moving from attraction to dating. We're talking about their dating. Um, Anybody have an interesting first date story? Let me see your hands. Anybody have an interesting first date story? Come on. I'm not going to call on you. Sure, some of you do. Well, I do. But some of those are regrets, right? You're like, why in the world did I do that? That was a, whew. Some of those you have God's grace in the midst of some regrets. And that's kind of Kimberly and I's first date. It really was. Here I was. I'd seen her on the first day of seminary at Southwestern Seminary. And I, I knew that I wanted to go out with her, so I asked her out. Now, I was a seminary student. I'd moved from South Carolina to Texas. I'd been a political science major, now called into ministry. So I got a job in a law firm. 
Now, before you're too impressed, I was a runner. That means I took stuff from place to place in the law firm. But it was a prestigious law firm. It was on the 32nd floor of the tallest building in Fort Worth, Texas. I was impressive in my own mind. And so it seemed like a good idea to me to take Kimberly on that first date to show her where I worked. I'm not just any seminary guy. So I, I pick her up and, and I say, hey, let's, let's go see my office. Not thinking that here's this single lady who, unbeknownst to me at that time, had been through some very rough things in her life, going out with a guy she did not know who's taking her in the dark up to a 32nd floor of a deserted building. It was only later that I discovered she thought she may never come down, that I was going to throw her off, that I was an axe murderer or something. It's only the grace of God that there was a second date. And so maybe you have some of those stories. And what I want to talk about today, for those of you that are not married, really I think will be help to you because it, it, will, it will help you know how to date the one you want to be your mate. But for those of us who are married, it's very practical for us because it's going to help us see the importance of dating our mate. So really, I would just give you these guides, how to date your mate or your future mate. And I want to do that by just giving you some simple words. And the first one is this, communicate. Say communicate. USA Today in a recent study said, newlyweds, how newlyweds talk to one another more than what they actually say can predict which couples will divorce with 87% accuracy. That seems crazy to me. I don't know if that's true. But what I do know is as people watch from the outside, your communication in a relationship, they will be able to tell a lot about your relationship. Do you talk tenderly? Do you talk with respect? Do you talk just to speak or do you talk to listen? Are you communicating? So the first thing we see in Song of Solomon 2 is that these two are communicating. Look at verse 1. This is her. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. You know what that tells me without hearing anything else? She is who she feels like she is because of how he made her feel. I feel like the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. Then he goes on to say, as a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. So he's saying, you're like the rose among the thorns. Now, now remember, all of these have a spiritual context. So some of you grew up in a setting like I did, and you remember an old hymn that said this, I found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. He's the what? Well, a lot of you heard that. He's a lily of the valley. In him alone I see all I need to cleanse and make me fully whole. That's from this passage of Scripture. So it's reminding us at this point to Jesus, he is our all that. Once we begin a relationship with him, he's everything to us. He wants to be seen in that way by us. But in this specific context, it's two lovers. Now, in our spiritual context, how do we communicate with God? Well, there's primarily two ways. One is through Scripture. God speaks to us through Scripture. So I give you that reminder. If you're at that stage of life where you're saying, I wish I could just hear God speak, all I need to say to you is open the book. Read it. If you want to hear God speak out loud, 
read it out loud. That would be God speaking to you, and then you have to listen. So another way we communicate with God is through prayer, right? And here's what I know. God will not think he's your all that. He will not think he's a priority, a passion in your life, if your prayer life is dim or dull or void. And so I would encourage you, use this as a reminder, not only in your communication with others, but in your communication with God to improve your prayer life, to to pray more often, to make that a spiritual discipline that you're digging digging into. Well, here we see that these two are clearly communicating well with one another. They know how each other feels. Man, let me just tell you something. If your wife says to you, you don't talk to me, she's not saying you don't ever utter any words. She's not necessarily saying we don't have any verbal communications. She's saying we don't understand each other. You don't know how I feel. You're not seeing into me. It's clear that these two were communicating. I love what Craig Glickman says about communication. He says, one good indication of real love is the desire to communicate. A wish to discover all about this person whom you love so much. No detail seems too trivial to be related. No mood or feeling is, is one is unimportant to the other. And you care about the details and the feelings because you care so much about the person. That which would be insignificant or boring to even a good friend is eagerly received with genuine interest by the one who loves you. You want to talk to them. But if we're going to communicate... We have to learn that we are all different, right? Men and women are different. So last week we talked about how we even feel loved differently. And we talked about those love languages, the five love languages. I hope you went by Lifeway and got your free book by Dr. Gary Chapman. We talked about physical touch and words of affirmation and receiving of gifts and acts of service. All those love languages. We're also different because we feel like our needs are met differently. It's been more than 30 years ago that a psychologist wrote a book called His Needs, Her Needs. Let me just tell you what they found. They studied men and women, and, and men said, hey, these are the things that are most important to me in a marriage relationship. Women said, these are the things that are most important to me in a marriage relationship. They came up with different lists. Look at the men's list. Number one, surprise, sexual fulfillment. Number two, recreational companionship. In other words, somebody to do what I like to do with me. Number three, an attractive spouse. Number four, domestic support. Number five, admiration. Now, as a pastoral counselor, I would tell you I think it's a little out of order. I think admiration is way up there on most guys' list. They, they want that feeling that their wife thinks they're all that, that they're the king of the hill. But you see this men's list. Now, I want you to see the women's list. Look at this. Boom. Wait a second. Where's number one? It didn't even make the top five. What in the world? Affection, conversation, honesty, and openness, financial commitment, family commitment. It's different lists. Why? Because we are different. We look at the world through different filters. God made us different. That's why it's so nutty to live in the day in which we live where the world tries to blur the difference between men and women. We're different. I know a lot of you have heard this, but the best explanation I've seen of this really relates men and women not to planets, not to Mars and Venus, but to animals. In our house, we have two dogs and a cat. 
we have one really big dog. He was an outside dog, and then God moved us to, to Florida, where we can't really have an outside dog. So he lived, he, he is the king of the house. Um, and when we got the cat, I was confident that Chevy, the big outside dog, was going to eat the cat. But then I noticed it took about a day for the cat to gain control of that dog that is at least 30 times bigger than her. She will walk up to the dog, and with her paw, she'll just go, Pah! And so I kind of agree with what I've heard, that sometimes it seems like women are like cats. Just listen, this is a cat. Or is it a woman? Or is it both? They do what they want. They rarely listen to you. They're totally unpredictable. They wail when they're not happy. When you want to play, they want to be alone. When you want to be alone, they want to play. They expect you to cater to their every whim. They're moody. They can drive you nuts and cost you an arm and a leg. And they leave their hair everywhere. But men are like dogs. So just listen to this. This is a dog. Or is it? Is it a man? They lie around all day, sprawled out on the most comfortable piece of furniture in the house. They can hear a package of food opening a half a block away, but they can't even hear you when you're in the same room. They leave their toys everywhere. They growl when they're not happy. When you want to play, they want to play. When you want to be left alone, they still want to play. They're good at begging. They will love you forever if you feed them and rub their tummies. They do disgusting things with their mouth, and then they want to kiss you. And they can look dumb and lovable all at the same time. Well, I, I would just say that we have to learn those differences. And, and we have to learn to communicate with one another. I, I can think of Kimberly and I, when we first began dating, I, I realized we approached conflict differently. If we needed to discuss something, we were having that um, Christian fellowship of disagreement. I want to resolve it now. I mean, I, I want to get to the bottom of that. And when I'm even in the spirit, I would say that's because we need to be reconcilers. We need to be right with one another. When I'm in the flesh, I just want to resolve it now. She wants to step back, wants to retreat. When she's in the flesh, it's just because she's scared. She's anxious. She wants to retreat. When she's in the spirit, it's because she wants to reconcile. So she's thinking through all right, what really happened here and what do I need to do to be right? Did you know it was many years into our marriage when we sat down with a counselor that we understood that we were approaching conflict in that different way? And so as a result, when we faced conflict, the only result was greater conflict. Conflict bred conflict because we didn't know how we were different and we didn't know how to communicate. If you're, if you're married, I would just ask you, take a, a, a quick mental poll and say, how are we doing with communication? Because most of life's frustrations come from unmet expectations, and most of that is because of poor communication. So what can you do to improve your communication? Number two, exhilarate. Say exhilarate. Now, I looked up the definition of that big word, and it means to make someone feel very happy, animated, or excited, elated. Now, I could have used the word intoxicate. Because really, when you talk about love, there's even been songs about this, right? It's intoxicating. 
And she's going to talk about Solomon taking her to the house of wine. And what she's saying is, your love for me is so great that it, I feel offended. You, I'm light on my toes. I'm tipsy because of the way you make me feel. I, I could have used the word titillate because it, it so arouses our excitement. And that's all straight out of Scripture. Notice what it says in verse 3. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. In other words, this guy, my guy, is the guy. All right? With great delight, I sat in his shadow. His fruit was sweet to my taste. He gave me shade, and he gave me sustenance. He met my need, and he met, made me feel at home and safe. He brought me to the banqueting house. That's that house of wine. His banner over me was love. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.